should intro this because you entered the other one all right so welcome to faith over breakfast the pre what do you call this andy because this is your idea you want us to summarize a little bit of what are we talked about it's the pre-game it's the pre-game show oh, we want to know show. Yeah, yeah here's here's what's about to happen except the pre-game show you don't know what's going to happen so this is the this is the little um hey here's what this podcast is about because it's free flow and it changes yes it is free flow and it changes so we talked about movies movies yeah we've talked about christian movies and not so maybe Christian movies. Yeah. Yeah. And if you listen, you'll find out what Andy's favorite movie is and how it impacted his life and hear some deep stories about it. That's right. Yeah. And you get a lot of Eric's insights on, on movies. Um, and then we, uh, we, we get into some activism, some questions about activism. And there's a lot, there's actually a lot in this podcast, I would say about the inner, the mind of pastors and what, what we uh, what it's like the yeah. little snippets all the way through yeah I think so yeah that was fun I yeah. enjoyed it I so, hope you guys do yeah so uh, tune in and uh, thanks for thanks for paying attention to what we say thanks for coming to breakfast Welcome to Faith Over Breakfast. My name is Andy Littleton. I'm from a church called Mission Church in Tucson, Arizona. I'm with my buddy Eric Seepin, who is from a church called The Village in Tucson, Arizona. Yes, from The Village, Tucson, Arizona. And um, here we are. And we are we're back at a place where we we typically record. It's a little place called Exo Coffee in Tucson, Arizona. Great coffee. Great uh, great breakfast foods. Um, You're having the Whiskey Town... The Whiskey Town sandwich. They were out of meat. Out of meat. So you had to go vegetarian. Are you um, a vegetarian or... No. No. But they uh, offered double eggs. So double I said, egg? Sure. Uh-huh. Okay. Double egg. Um, it's also... They, they are now a venue at, in the evening and have... Yeah, I saw that so, down there. An incredible assortment of mezcal. So if you're, uh, if you're interested in drinking deeply of the fermented agave... Um, <laughs> You can come wow. here in the evening and uh, and do so to your heart's desire. Um, and so, uh, yeah, and for those of you listening across the world, Japan perhaps. Yes, um, we've our Japan listeners, we don't want to offend you anymore. We notice you stopped listening. So, and then you're back. So, Oh, you're wanna, back. Yeah. Oh, well, great. Well, the agave is a plant. It is a cacti right. of sorts that, uh, that has these long leaves that channel the water down to their roots when it rains. And... Um, they've been used for many years in the southwest to make make you know different forms of alcohol yes and, definitely uh, and people here love it so anyway exo coffee we appreciate the loft space here which is a little less loud yeah, than this breakfast club where we were last podcast yeah i mean and we're 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 hope that like when we hit 100 episodes we'll finally have 
like a beautiful mic system mm. and people will hear us clearly and there won't be any background noise but then it won't really be faith over breakfast and then it'll be terrible yeah it will be but we'll be making lots of money oh so a much ton money, of money. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because yeah. we're most probably the best podcast out there yeah, yeah. I mean really who's better than us I mean bad Christian don't listen to them the yeah. liturgist I mean what are they oh yeah I don't know I mean, PBS on steroids I don't know yeah yeah, I can't. Right, I can't think of a podcast that's better produced um, or uh, and the more interesting. Are great. The transitions are incredible. They're so yeah, great. nobody oh, does man. an awkward transition like us. <laughs> anyway, so there you go. Now, um, full of pride, we enter into podcast number thirty. Yes, it's podcast number thirty. Um, so, hey, we. Uh, I showed up not knowing what to talk about. Eric's got all sorts of thoughts, and he's obviously been thinking about movies. He's been watching movies. So, yes. Eric, you're, there's movies of decades. And I have to admit, um, I grew up a good chunk of my life without a television. Me, and so, me too, by the way. Really? Yeah, yeah, I didn't have a TV until I left the house. Oh, okay. I had one before I left the house, but not but not for a lot of my childhood. So there's, there's a lot. I did not um, catch up. Oh, you sound like you caught up. Yeah, well... I moved into a house that had cable. Ooh, yeah. Wow. And then That's I, a big step. I uh, caught up on all the Magnum PI I've never seen. Wow. And uh, Rockford Files. And I watched all the old shows that I yeah. catch up and be culturally, in, I don't know, indoctrinated. And that could sum up just your church. Yeah. Is like Eric grew up <laughs> sheltered yep. and then did everything he could to become culturally indoctrinated that's and right. now leads from that place. Yes. Is that right? Much. Yeah, that's, that's, that's it. <laughs> <laughs> it's this weird conservative liberalism that I... <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, yeah. Or is it a liberal conservatism? I have no idea. Yeah, one of the two. Well, we're talking about movies. Oh, let's start with you. Ah. Yeah, right before you bite that beautiful yeah. egg. I'll wait. I'm like... Let's just go with your. If you're on a desert island and you have to have one movie with you. Field of Dreams. Field of Dreams. Easy. Wow. Yep. Um, Done. Conversation over. All right, yeah. All right. Mic drop. Mic drop. Field of Dreams. What about Field of Dreams? Just grabs your. The movie. The movie itself. The, the story. Yeah. Just the, the, yeah, and later on I found out that the writer of Shoeless Joe, the book that informed Field of Dreams, said he actually loves the movie. Which is very different, and it's the movie is different than the book. But he right. said they captured it; they captured the essence, they captured the idea of his book, which is exciting. So oh, that's really cool. Yeah. You like baseball? I love baseball. Oh, see there, there we go. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Did you play baseball in high school? I, uh, no, I played up until high school. Okay. I stopped. Right, I stopped all sports. I didn't. I didn't play any sports in high school. So I well, played basketball, baseball. Why did you stop playing sports in high school? Um, because, let's see, a couple, probably a couple reasons. One, I had a really bad experience um, in sports just before high school. Okay. Um, and I didn't understand it until mid-high school. Okay. And then number two, I wanted money. And so you're telling me that your aware that I could get you being an athlete, so I'm saying. Yeah. Okay, anyway. And there's a theme around both of these, and they're both the theme around both of those events has to do with being poor. Mm. Um, but but I yeah, I got a job as early as I could. I mean I worked full time for a large chunk of my of high school. I was I worked full time um, in uh, in restaurants and you know, so I, I could have 
the things my friends had or whatever, basically, it's, it's, at the end of the day is what I was trying to do. And so, um, so I worked a lot. Can you tell us what happened? Yeah, so... In that, that before high school event that kind of... Yeah, so I was on I was on the championship team that year. <laughs> baseball? And, uh, baseball. But I was... Uh, I was I was a really good player. I was, a, I was a, especially a good pitcher. I I had a good arm, and um, and so I'd gone into that year um, assuming I would pitch and kind of excited about it. And I, you know, tried out and didn't. It went went great. And I was like, yeah, I'm I'm pretty good. I'm gonna play. And the coach didn't really didn't really talk to me about it but he played his son um, all the time as pitcher who was a much better catcher um and you know i i knew it i see i thought i knew it and it seemed like everybody else knew it and i got little comments from other parents and stuff like that they were like this is just not not right but i wasn't really processing all of that and i at some point i just was like i guess maybe i'm not that good maybe i'm I don't know how to do this as well as I should. I mean, I feel like I'm pretty good, but maybe I'm not. And so then he didn't really play me any other position, so he put me in about an inning a game. Um, the irony was in the championship game, the best player, one of the best players in the league, hit a towering high fly ball way into the outfield where the coach had stuck me for my one inning a game, which he had to play me one inning a game. Um, and, and I trailed it out of bounds caught it we won the championship i got the game ball um wow oddly enough um and so then later in high school i was writing actually (laughs) i think i called it here's how much i liked field of dreams i called it yield of dreams um (laughs) (laughs) like this paper yield yield, like okay stop kind of stop like like, where my dreams (laughs) ended (laughs) Or had to stop. Oh, wow. And uh, I wrote this paper, and my mom said something, like she read it, and she's like, well, I feel like I need to tell you a little more about that. I said, oh. And she's like, we didn't really want you to know, but you know, we had home and away uniforms. We were the only team in the league that had two uniforms. Okay. We had, like, striped pants and fitted hats. And she said, you know, your coach owned the sport, sporting goods store. And so he he uh, pr- you know, provided the uniforms, but everybody had to pay more money. And we went to him and told him we couldn't afford it. And he uh, he basically just kind of passively said, "Oh, don't worry about it." But then he would not play you um, because you didn't pay for your for your uniform. Oh man! Yeah. Oh. And so my first reaction was I was really mad at the coach. Um, like what a jerk you know and like and I just like every time I drive by that store like now I'm in like mid to late high school when I learned this and I was just like I hate that store like I hate that place I hate that guy um but then later on I thought about it more and it was like I wish my parents would have been like no you can't do that like I'm gonna put my kid on another team he's good you know or like or something, or exposed it, or and they just kind of let that happen. So mm-hmm. I, you know, there was a disappointment later that came with them not standing up against that. Yeah, because they always like we were poor, but they always kind of just like they had that mentality of like, oh, well, there's nothing we can do about it. Um, and that is something that I wish uh, wasn't there. I wish I wish both of those things hadn't been true. 
But that was really demoralizing to only play one inning a game. And the next year, that was the year they moved the pitcher's mound back. So I had a full year of not pitching from that distance. Yeah. And uh, and so the next year I tried out for pitcher, and um, and I just didn't have it. Like I wasn't like in tryouts. I was I wasn't as good. Like I was throwing short, and I, and the other kids were like used to it. And so I played I played one more year. Um, maybe that was my freshman year. I can't remember. Uh, but but I didn't play for the school. But that year I played outfield and I did okay. I still had a good arm. I could, I could get it from center field to home plate, you know, without a bounce. But I don't know. Something just changed. Yeah. I just wasn't as excited about it after that. Wow. So there you go. Wow. I didn't. I didn't realize that, that we were gonna delve deep into your uh, emotional psyche with Field mm-hmm. of Dreams. Mm-hmm. Wow. So. So I could be right now talking to, like, a a professional baseball player had life gone differently. (laughs) Who knows? (laughs) We'd have better mics, let's be honest. No, we would have better mics. Yeah, I kind of doubt that. (laughs) Um, I mean, I was good, but I don't know that I was that good. Okay. Um, But who knows? I mean, that was also, I was pretty young, so had I stayed engaged and really worked on it, who knows? uh, One of my friends from middle school went on to play minor league ball. Um, and we played contemporary to each other. I don't know. Who knows? Yeah. Yeah. I would say he was better than me. Yeah, I would definitely say he was better than me. Feel the dreams. That's your movie. Yeah, yeah I mean, because you've got you've life. got the you've got baseball, um, but then you have like relationship with the father. Yeah. Um, and so that piece of the movie was always really special to me. Um, and so yeah, I think. You know, and that whole narrative, I mean, this is, like, with my dad and I, like, kind of being, like, more disappointed with him at first, and then, like, coming back around to, like, understanding him more later, and that happens in that movie. And even when I was young, even before I was, like, endeavoring to understand him more, I wanted to, and I connected with it. I got I got the movie Field of Dreams and a McDonald's Happy Meal. Do you remember when McDonald's offered VHS movies with Happy Meals for a while? No. Yeah. I got my my, my VHS of oh my Field of Dreams with a Happy Meal. That's pretty cool. Uh-huh. That's pretty cool. Wow. I'm kind of speechless. Like, I did not expect this whole movie conversation to bring that. That's, that's, that's pretty cool. So what's your favorite movie? And why? Well, number one movie would have to be The Matrix. Oh. And wow. I, it's probably the movie I've seen the most in my life. And if we're talking about movies that Christians should have made, it was The Matrix. True. I, I feel like it is. I've the, seen it once. Artistically, one of the most, uh, the best expression of the gospel, what it means to be a minister, what it means to be a pastor. There's so many illusions, and they're all there on purpose. Um, mm hmm. I once read an interview early, early on before the Wachowski brothers started redefining the narrative of how, why they did the movies they did and how they did them. Yeah. And they talk about how the first one is supposed to be a picture of Christianity with a little Buddhism tone. Hmm. The second one... Really? Is, so they acknowledge this? Yes. Wow. The second one is supposed to be Greek mythology. Hmm. 
and the third one is supposed to be Jewish apocalyptic. Um, you know, uh, what's the what's the mystical uh, like Gnosticism? No, no, the Jewish mysticism. Um, um, Kabbalah? No, is it the Kabbalah? Oh, yeah, the, it's the thing that like all the movies, a lot of the movies yes. are into. Sure, so it's that kind of apocalyptic. Mm-hmm. You know, mis- Jewish mysticism, probably having its roots in Baal worship and all those kinds of mm-hmm. things. But anyway, it's supposed to represent sort of those three narratives, um, mm-hmm. and uh, and you see all the illusions of it as you go along, and, and the way they kind of pointed things in that direction. But when the Matrix came out, I was just starting to do ministry in in the culture, meaning I was beginning to sit and have conversations with people um, where it really felt like we were in a post-Christian world where I was talking to people you know so I it had to be like 1999 I guess is when that movie came out somewhere mm-hmm. in there mm-hmm. talking to people and they're asking me questions not like they're not informed about Christianity so they're asking me yeah. questions about like well how is God and Jesus connected um, was you know was Jesus a real, real person? What happens inside a church? I've never been. Yeah. Um, you know, like uh, an ignorance of those things. And so, uh, and how, like, just the, the sense of being lost, like when Neo is, is, you know, you begin to realize he's in this world that doesn't really exist and isn't really satisfying. And then you're constantly trying to find yeah. the thing. Um, and then the, when he is like pulled out of the battery connector or whatever, yeah, he's there's a baptism scene. He like flushed mm-hmm. in and then he's raised up and then they're reconstructing yeah. his body and then reality actually stinks. Like the food doesn't <laughs> taste good. Yeah, like it's it's not the reality you thought you were going to go to. Mm-hmm. You know, and then the way they do that with the different changes in color and yeah um, and then having to go back in like this whole concept of going back in but you can't be drawn in you're going in there to pull people out and there are things there are all these things you have to be aware of and you're being constantly chased by darkness and, and you, you know the ship kind of representing church in itself and the gathering of the people and the gifts and skills that they have and, yeah and then, of course, you know, Neo sort of represent kind of evolving into being a Christ figure and giving up his life for everyone. So it's yeah. just a fascinating. So I, I think I watched it like six times in the theater, and I don't do that. Wow! And cried every time we watched it because wow. it just felt like it represented sort of our life. Yeah. So yeah, that's sort of where that is. I mean, I still go back to it to kind of remember why I do what I do. I should rewatch it. It's been a long time since I've seen it. So. And plus, then it has amazing kung fu in it, so it's fun. <laughs> <laughs> there's always, yeah, there's that. And all the, you know, it's interesting because it's a mix of that violence and the, and the philosophy and all that kind of stuff. So. Yeah. Another movie that oddly came about for me by watching, like, I mean, I was looking for movies to watch with Abby, and this was always one that was on the edge of like, is this okay? Because it was a little more dark, but um, but that I see. I, I just think it's a really helpful, feels very Christian movie to me, is uh, The Iron Giant. Yeah, I haven't seen that yet. You should see The Iron Giant. All right, I will watch The Iron Giant. I'll yeah. watch it with my kids. Yeah, you should. At this point, for sure. Like, I mean, I was, this is where the debatable parenting... I was watching with Abby when she was like four. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> 
but it didn't. It's it didn't a cartoon, right? It, it is a cartoon. <laughs> it's just a little dark, and it's a little like. It's one of those ones that seems like it's more made for adults, really. But, right, right. But uh, I think that's a. I think that's an excellent, you know, uh, yeah, being comes from outside of this world uh, and is despised and rejected. In um, anyway, yeah, just have to check it out. Yeah, definitely, definitely will. Yeah. Um, so yeah, on the like Christ theme. So you, so you like Matrix because of the themes and you know everything. Is there a movie that's just like outside of all that that you're just like, I just love this movie because it's just fun or good or <laughs> or means a lot to me. Uh, the Royal Tenenbaums. <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. That movie, just the characters in that movie, uh-huh. just make me laugh. Like yeah. it's such a dysfunctional and weird and quirky. Yeah. Like I don't care what's happening. Yeah. Like the plot is irrelevant as it's just the characters are they're just <laughs> there's not a lot you can say about them they're just so funny and so yeah have you ever seen Harold and Maud? no I have not but I've heard about it yeah that's that's on my list of movies that I I like but it's super weird and yeah it's it's weird but but I like it for a number of reasons right but uh yeah it's like dark humor a lot of Cat Stevens music <laughs> just anyway um yeah so there you go movies yeah. um I mean, you were the decades the movies of the decades i don't you know i'm not not you could that. monologue about it. it could be eric monologue number two eric like. monologue number two no i'm not actually the hard part for me is that when i watch a movie it's more i get a, a feeling from the movie so i watched Reality Bites. Yeah. I don't know if you've ever seen that no, movie. I haven't seen it. But it, it has, it just defines sort of the helplessness and pointlessness of being a Gen Xer and mm. then trying to find your own way and find meaning in life and, and kind of trying to handle the, defunct, the, the dysfunction of your, your parents and all that kind of stuff and just the yeah. impact that's had on you and sort of the, yeah, just trying to deal in the new world. Like Garden State is like a, a millennial movie mm-hmm. like a lot okay. of millennials like one of the philosopher guy Michael yeah. Kuzno we were just talking about this last night that's partly why I was thinking about these things I mean Garden State is his movie like it's the thing that defines who he is and helps him understand his generation interesting yeah, yeah. huh you know St. Elmo's Fire did that for a lot of older Gen Xers so yeah. the ones who were born in the, the like early 70s yeah maybe in part of the 60s okay so, I don't know. They, they just kind of catch something of the struggle they yeah. feel in life. Mm-hmm. Um, and they have good actors, usually. So. Yeah. I don't know. I'm not really good at talking about film, <laughs> other than how that makes me feel. You, you couldn't be the film critic? I, I wouldn't be good at it, no. Yeah. I'm not good at that. I mean, I am good at the ones I don't like. <laughs> yeah. Is it? The, are you the critic, though, where you're like, eh, the cinematography was, you know, or are you just like, I don't like that. No, I don't like that. You're okay. <laughs> well, I mean, I think sometimes it's just the the quality of storytelling is always important to me. That's yeah. what I yeah I have a problem with, or just the I don't know, yeah, the cheesiness of things. Yeah, Maybe. I don't want my cheesy movies to tell me have a, a moral message in them. You just want it to be cheesy. Yeah, just, just be cheesy. <laughs> mm. don't, yeah, don't don't I don't like morality movies. You know what I would like? I would like a film critic um, newspaper, you know, column or whatever, where they just are, or maybe this for food as well, where it goes kind of like this, you know, 
Um, oh, you know, I went over to so and so diner. I thought the food was bad. I don't like it. You shouldn't go there. And that's it. And the column's over. Yeah. And it's not, you know, no nuance, no... Or, <laughs> or like, the movie, you know, just like, this is a great movie. You will like this movie. Unless you don't like these kind of movies, in which case, don't go. Yeah. Um, the, you know, looks cool. Looks cool. Like, yeah. Yeah, very, very simple. Yeah, just that. Instead <laughs> of all this, like, gobbledygook. So... I don't know. Anybody is that kind of how you, you do your sermons? Um, this is a, no, I probably... <laughs> this is a good passage. You should read it. <laughs> Jesus is a good thing to believe in. You should believe in God. <laughs> Unless you don't. In which case, I'm sorry. Or, yeah, no, I, I don't do that at all. So. The sermon is brought to you by Andy. <laughs> <laughs> this passage is true. <laughs> do what it says. Okay, good night. Well, my sermons would be a lot shorter and a lot yeah, more. And people might actually really appreciate the that. The key to church growth for you. Oh, man, maybe it is. So how, by the way, just to, to make that really bad segue, like, how's your Saturday yard sale mm. go? Yeah, so we, yeah, we bought our building. I think we've mentioned this yeah. recently on the podcast. Uh, we, there was a bunch of junk in there, so we had a sale. It went fine. Um, we, I think it, you know, I was hoping we'd sell a little more, but we, uh, I think we made like 900 bucks, sold some other stuff on the side, um, you know, so that goes toward working on the building and the stuff got out of the way and, um, there, the, the floor of the main room is all torn up and half the walls are torn off and wow, you can see red brick and that was the goal was to get that all cleaned out. So that happened. And a lot of our people from the church were involved, which is cool. Just, it's just fun to see everybody. Did you take lots of pictures? Involved. I'm taking quite a few pictures. Good, yeah, because I mean that's been the was the best thing for us. Mm-hmm. And it's been funny about our churches that we started out taking a lot of pictures, and and then you stopped. It's hard to remember because you get caught up in the event itself. It is. And but we live in a world where you want to be able to tell the story. Yeah, and pictures are the way we tell stories. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah, and I've been good about sharing. I've done, you know, this is where like the Instagram and Facebook story has been kind of a cool feature. Sure. Um, but I haven't even thought about like showing, putting them up at church, which we really should. Um, but but yeah, I have been taking photos of like every stage. I go by the building. Though, even though I'm not, we hired out this portion of the work. Like I just love. I just want to be there. So like every, if I have a 20 minute window, I'm going over there. Um, so that's fun. Yeah. So that's exciting. So yeah, it's it's going. It's coming along. It's pretty nuts. Um. Yeah, we'll see what see what the end result is. It's kind of an interesting. I mean, when you're peeling off, like we're peeling off walls we couldn't see behind. Right. Right. And so you start to like understand a space, and this is where, you know, I know there's different kinds of minds, but I can't like design a space probably just from paper. Like, you know, I know, they're designers who can, they, they dream it, they put it on paper. Yeah, me. I, I need to be in the process. And to me, like, the building or the space, like, begins to, like, come up with its own identity in a weird way. Like, mm-hmm. I, I mean, where mm-hmm. it's like, I'm asking the question of what is this? And as you're, like, peeling off the, the old layers and looking at the brick and looking at this and that and you start to understand what this building should be that's sort of how my mind works with all that stuff um 
And I'm sure that, I mean, I know that some pastors have that sort of peace to them, but a lot don't. Right. But I've got that, I have that, that side. Yeah, and I always have to be there in some ways, you know, let the room talk to me. Yes, that's exactly the way I phrase it. Yeah, like it speaks for itself in a way. I can't do that. I know there are people who just draw it out and then they see this it in is their what head I want. and it looks good when they're done. Uh-huh. You know? Yeah, absolutely. But it's not, that's not the kind of designer I am. Right, same here. In some ways, it's, it also is pretty uh, therapeutic. Yeah, yeah. Like, because it, it's something you can have impact on. And it's hard as a pastor because you don't always think you have impact. Sheesh, no kidding. And, and there's not a lot of measurables. Uh-huh. And the few measurables that there are, you feel like you're failing at. Them. Totally. So it's, it's it, one of the one of the experiences that shaped church planning for me was I went and visited, took some student leaders to a pretty new church plant in Seattle, and um, what would be the name of that church plant? All Souls. All Souls. Yes. Yeah, Andy Palander is the pastor, um, and he you know he was early. I mean, I think about where we're at now, and I'm like, man, he was even behind where we're at now, or or close, or whatever. Um, and I was a youth worker, and so I had all this angst about, well, I don't get to do enough in my budget. And he, you know, my buddy, the high school director, and I were there, and he looked over and he said, do you realize that essentially you run a small church of kids and all your funding is just handed to you by the bigger organization? Um, someday you will realize how easy that was. <laughs> and holy cow, Andy, if you're out there, you were absolutely right. Um, and I heard that, though I didn't understand it. I believed him, and that has been helpful <laughs> yeah, for me. But a thing I remember, so we were staying at his house. I think I and maybe another person were staying at his house during the time we were there. And I woke up one morning, and I heard a saw you know, going, and I went out back, and he was just building a hutch outside in his yard. And I knew there was a lot going on that week, you know. And I kind of walked out there and had a cup of coffee or whatever, and I was like, wow, I didn't realize you did woodwork. And he just looks at me and he says, I have to. You know, he said, everything else I do um, never completes, it never resolves it. People and their walk with the Lord and even me and my family, and it's always like a one step forward, two steps back. The, you know, a cabinet, though. I can start it. I can finish it. And it is something I need. I need something like that in my life. Yeah. And again, I completely relate to that these days. Because yeah, ministry very much like it's. I love it. I know it has impact, but you don't. It, it's not measurable. It's like not you said, measurable. Not at all. And it's really nice every once in a while to have something measurable. Right. Well, and even if somebody says, you know, Andy, like last week your sermon, like it spoke deeply to my heart. I went home. Yeah. I made these changes. Right. And then they don't say anything like that to you for the next three years. Yeah. Right. The cabinet, you walk by it every day. And there, and and it's, there, there it is. is. <laughs> and it's holding things just like it did. Yeah. The and day it tells you, you, you know, good job, Andy. You <laughs> built me. And I'm doing what I'm supposed to do. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it, it, it sounds silly, but it totally is. No. It is, it is so what it is. true. It's very true. That's totally true. Oh, man. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. I right, and the cabin never says, I've decided that what you had said for the was last... Was actually invalid. Yeah, it's not valid. Or I've decided that um, that you aren't my builder anymore. Right. I'm going to another builder's building <laughs> to serve him because he is better than you. <laughs> the cabinets. <laughs> or you really let me down. Yes. 
it's hard. I mean, uh, I, don't, I, I don't think people fully grasp how difficult it is to walk in front of people and care for them and follow Jesus and. And I know other jobs are hard because I listen to people. Oh, no doubt. But it's just different. It's yeah. not something like it's a little insane to be a pastor who I cares su- about people. Yeah. I suppose there are a few other jobs that where there's some parallels that I think about like even like being a business owner because yes. I, I get to experience a little bit of that as well where it's like people are looking to you to make decisions, looking to you to care for them, looking to you to you to lead them. But there still isn't that there can be a spiritual component, but often there isn't. So there's like layers, and I feel like with a pastor, they're just yeah. There's this the, all these layers of your, um, you know, yeah, you're to be the the example and the helper and all these things, as well as the leader and right. all, you know all of that is you know. So it's it's probably better to just debunk that as early as possible. But at the same time, that is, I mean, that's the role, right? It's and just you're not going to live up to it. Definitely. Yeah. And there's no nonprofit organization in the world that is completely designed to be in every single aspect. Right. So you're in people's bedrooms. You're in people's yeah. dinner tables. You're in people's you're with them finances. When, when people die. die yeah. When they're born. Right. Right. When they're having trouble with their teenager. When Versus the nonprofit that's like, we're here to help you farm. Yes. And other otherwise, your life's up to you. Right. Yeah. Yeah, and it's a big part of, and the product you have that you're offering them is not one that has like a set plan to get you somewhere. It's one right. that says, "Oh, we're we're going to walk with Jesus together for the next for as whatever. long yeah, as you're, you yeah, you're stick here. around, right? Yeah. Or I stick around, or right. whatever. Yeah. yeah, it's it's a it's a different world. It is. But anyway, speaking of that world, though, and back to movies. Yeah, you mentioned uh, Christian movies. Oh, boy. Yeah, um, I did say something about Christian movies, didn't I? You did. You mentioned it before we started. Yeah. And so, um, Christian movies, it's a weird world. It is a weird I, world. I would assume, just I should throw this out there, that some of the people listening to this watch Christian movies. They do. And some are throwing up in their mouth, even as we speak about them. Yes. And so, why do, you, why is, why do some love them and some hate them? And then tell me... Well, first start with why you think some people just love them and why some people hate them. And in that, I think we're going to get your opinion on them. Oh, really? <laughs> I, probably. Well, okay. Uh, I don't want a long pause on our podcast. So, <laughs> I don't, we don't edit out everything. That was dramatic. Yeah. Right? <laughs> so I think that there's something about them that tug on our, our heartstrings. Mm-hmm. And they, they tell us, I, I think they're very similar to romantic comedies yeah and that there's like a problem that needs to be solved that has to do with love and love eventually is victorious right and that's usually the arc of christian movies is is the same as romantic comedies yeah um that there's there's something very difficult and you see love conquering the difficulty and that's what we all want to be that's the disney princess tale yeah we want to be reassured that that's the thing and so uh, but the problem is we get drunk on that uh-huh. And I think, the, and so it's the same with like Caleb. I, I think that there are some really significant songs being sung by Christian artists sure. that are played on Caleb, but they're not all like we get drunk on that particular experience and we just drink it and drink it. And we don't want something, particularly Americans, we don't like things that, that don't resolve. Yeah. We don't like things that end in tragedy and yeah. don't have 
explanations for the tragedy. Or where the explanation is hard to deal with. Yes, so the explanation is very hard to deal with. I mean, you don't hear a lot of K-Love songs that, you know, based on Romans 9. No, you don't. Where, where they're singing about perhaps this person was fashioned for the wrath of God. <laughs> Did you fashion me for the wrath of God? I mean, the closest would be, there's, there's a Cademan's Call song. Where sometimes yes. I feel like I'm not chosen. Yes. You've hardened my heart like Pharaoh. Wow. So there is one song I can think of that actually does reference Romans 9. I don't think it was played on Caleb. Maybe. Probably not. Yeah. But but I think that there is that. And and so th- sometimes there's not, the questions are not answered, the difficult questions are not addressed. Right. Because we want the more simple narrative. Yeah. Because um, I think, it's not just Christians, I think we as Americans don't like to think too hard about stuff. Mm. Yeah. So I think that's probably, and then, and then the quality, I don't know if it's the money or when you keep making these arts, these... Well, I think there's, I think there's uh, something to the consumer base in the system that feeds a problem. And so I, I, I have a buddy who's a filmmaker, and he tends to make promotional films, but he's been a part of a couple production films, one of them be in this classification of the Christian movie. Okay. Um, and somewhere in a discussion either with him or somebody connected to him, I learned this little tidbit that essentially... Um, Every Christian movie is profitable and will be purchased. Like almost all of them. Like there are there are people, business owners, marketers that know that there's such a base of people that will watch almost anything that comes out that has that family friendly logo mm-hmm. on it. Yeah. Um, that is with a dove that kind of leads you to believe this is Christian. Um, that if you make one of those, they will buy it. They will watch it. And so you don't have to invest a lot to make money. And in fact, if you invest the bare minimum, so I liken it to the, you know, the, the side table at Target where their goal is to make something that will be consumed by as many people investing as little money as possible. And there's all sorts of abuse that happens in a system like that because it's like you're going to pay people as little as possible to make it. You know, you're gonna. Your goal is not that it has any lasting value. It, it becomes very much a bottom line discussion. And so, having heard that that is the thinking behind certain Christian movies, has is sad to me because I don't think that is a Christian mentality of producing culture. Right. So that I think contributes because then you don't get a great writer. You don't. You take a any mediocre storyline that sort of concludes on somehow love wins or or like they went ended up in church after all or whatever right. is like cool we can make money on that right sad it is I mean so yeah the marrying between consumerism and mm-hmm. sort of this particular experience yeah. that you can have yeah they because money of the, and wherever there's money and because of the Judeo Christian base of people in yes. the states marketers. And I have a sneaking suspicion that a lot of those people who promo those films and buy them aren't, like, necessarily Christians. So I don't think this is, like, Christians peddling the stuff all the time. I think it's business people. Right. Well, and, and the odd thing to me is as I spend time as a pastor ministering in the city, in this city, yeah. and I minister to a lot of people who are, you know, are poorer, yeah. and I talk to them, guess what they love watching? Yeah, Christian movies. Christian movies. And they're not Christians. No. But what it says is, and I hear this repeatedly, is there's this hope that yep. that life 
mm-hmm. the thing that's being presented there, the perfect family, the thing where yeah. there's no violence or abuse, oh. like that's that could be us. Yeah. Um, I was trying to think of the the, the song. Um, oh man, I just blanked it, but uh, where it's it it, it kind of trails through all these different scenes of people. Like the the girl going for an abortion, the poor guy on the street. It's got a little bit of rap in it. Um, Man, I remember. This is where I'm really bad. It's on the podcast. I should not <laughs> be going off. Maybe I'll remember the movie. Um, but but there's this just this deep hope for yeah. this this wholeness, and that that captures that. But it's a false wholeness. Yeah, it is. Like. You know, it's the wholeness of everything's fixed yes. here here on earth, and so it's okay. Yeah, so it touches yeah. on this longing for heaven, which I right. think is good, but it doesn't actually help people step into the reality of what it means to walk with God in a really messed up, broken world. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of where, I mean, I don't want to, like, spoiler alert, Iron Giant or whatever, but, I mean, you've got you've got a broken home, you've got all this stuff, going on you've got um, you know the world is is a dark place bad things are happening and there's an act of redemption you do get a sense that maybe people are self-reflecting on that but you don't get a sense that it all just in my mind I didn't get a sense that it all got fixed right maybe I'm maybe I'm being generous to the Iron Giant there is I guess there is an element of like maybe there's hope Right. And I think we should feel those kind of feelings from yeah. the gospel. Like, yeah. oh, there's hope no, there is since hope. this can happen. There is yeah. hope. Um, so I want to be left with hope, but not everything's fixed. So it always drives me nuts. Like, like when the football team in the Christian movie starts following Jesus, and then they win the championship. And then, you know, you love when they, they kind of pull back and let them lose the championship. That's a little better. And you know they're kind of trying not to do that. Right. Um, you know, but they all end up totally happy with it. I mean, I would love, like, they, the, you know, two people on the team become Christians, and then it turns out that, like, half the team is actually really crooked after all, and then they <laughs> lose the championship, and the Christian guy loses his temper, and the non-Christian guy is fine, and they have to, like, work that out, and then the pastor comes and goes, wow, you know, following Jesus is really harder than you thought, isn't it? That's- and Andy just wrote his first movie. <laughs> And the movie ends there. Because <laughs> that's a little more like it. Right. right? Yeah. Well, I, I just think we, I, it's hard for us to deal with Jesus even in movies. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Because we either, like The Passion of the Christ, which is a super well-made, <laughs> brutal movie. Right. But it's on the cross. Yeah. That's the focus. Yeah. You know, or we, we go into like, you know, movies with Jesus where he just is so otherly or, or yeah. broken like he's not really the god of the universe right. or um, he's just ethereal like yes. he's just kind of floating around like, and he you know, gazes at you and then everything oh, is yeah know, yeah like there's it but doesn't he gazed come, at Judas for three years and that didn't fix things yeah it didn't fix things at all right right well and there's like it would be interesting to see a movie where he just was there was a sense of his humanity like you know where he's afraid of being run over by people he's telling the disciples you have no faith you have little faith if you just had a mustard seed of faith you guys are idiots like if there is sort of like that kind of expression yeah you know I don't see that and and I almost lean toward like you know keeping the keeping the commandment on this one like that you shall make no images of God because I think now I 
I know there's a lot of debate on that with like Jesus who did you know in, incarnate, but I think because you're never going to capture, you're never going to capture him. That like trying to, it kind of is you know I don't know I think you're kind of wading into some sure. weird waters there. Yeah, I, that's probably part of why we're always like going no. Eh. So it's like maybe the best way to, if you really wanted to like think about Jesus through movies is take everyone that was ever made and conglomerate just stick them all together and go well this one might have shown this and this one might have hinted at that and then, you know I don't know I don't know yeah I don't know either I kind of don't like movies where Jesus is actually depicted yeah I don't I didn't watch The Passion of the Christ I yeah. don't tend to watch any movies with Jesus but part of that's not because I would go with the Ten Commandments so that's an interesting thought it's mostly I don't want a version of Jesus stuck in my head. Like, yeah. I don't want that picture. Well, that's kind of what I've I've thought was a piece of that commandment, was that, you know, if you start creating images of God, that you get a version of God stuck in your right. head that may not meet the full breadth of what the scriptures are describing. Right. And it's unavoidable, because now, I mean, pictures of Jesus are all over everybody's walls, even people who don't believe in Jesus. Yes, so it's, it's unavoidable, and it's irritating. I know. I know. I, I don't I, mind. I, there's when, actually one in our home that my great aunt gave me. Well, there you go. That so is, you have one. I know. Oh my and goodness! I, you need to go take it down right I now. I know. <laughs> I it, it's weird. It's like it's a thing where it's like this is a piece of like something that my great aunt was trying to invest in me. I mean, she wrote to me on the back of it, but it's also something that I sort of like reject. And it's a it's an interesting thing. Like I, I go back and forth on whether you know I want it. It's interesting. Yeah. It's history. Yeah. Yeah. So yes. That's, that's hard to let go of. Sure. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. Anyhow. So, wait, there was one more thing you yeah, wanted to talk about. Yeah, it's drive-by activism. Drive-by activism. The activism of the millennial and why they can't stick to one thing. Yeah, so you were just saying, because, like, I mean, though I guess we, we won't know for sure, but... Um, you know, hashtag me too, huge. I mean, we've got cases, we've got stuff going on. The radio was on this morning. I heard something about it. Um, but you were saying like, Hey, when's the last time we heard of heard black lives matter is a big thing. It seems like we've generally moved on from that. I mean, right. I've heard the news cycle is four days. Yeah. Well, that's wild. That is wild. Um, which, which means that it's very difficult to build like any kind of momentum or I don't understand. Like, I don't know. Like, what really matters is the question. Yeah. If you're just looking at the news cycle, and I know there are people still working in all those areas, but sort of the bandwagon activism yeah. is, is a new thing yeah. because of social media. And people will jump on that. Yeah, you're right. There are people who are dedicated to these things and working very hard, and, and no doubt. Yeah. That's has always been the case, still is. But the populace that fault, that gets really big onto one, like gets behind something and pushes it and right. then moves on two weeks later or forgets. Yeah, what do we what do we make of that? Well, I, I think some of it this is oddly. I think some of us is none of us are in relationship with each other. Yep. So the only thing we had to bind us was this moment where yeah. we're me tooing it or or fighting to, against police uh, abuse of power. But yeah. then you know, there's nothing really left for us to connect to. So we're moving on to the next thing to connect to. Especially if you're not if you're not experiencing the police's abuse of power. Say, right. You know, you you can hear the story and go, "Oh my gosh, that's terrible!" Throw out some social media stuff, sign some petitions online, but then, since you don't tend to experience it, 
yeah, it right. drops off for you. Well, and I think, too, we still feel powerless. Like, because even with the Me Too thing and, and big, gigantic people, or, like, people who mean something are toppling. Yeah. It still seems distant and far away from us. Yeah. Um, and we just don't, we can't impact things. And we don't want to take the time to do it. Like, mm. I don't know, like, if something really means something to you, you probably should dedicate your entire life to it. Or at least a big chunk. A big chunk of it. See, I feel a little less disconnected from that than you do, though, at the moment, because, um, I mean, they're, you know, just just frankly, like, this, it has impacted people in my community specifically. And so there is, the, like, the, actually... The Me Too thing, or the... It has, yeah. So there's a long, there is, there's an engagement um, occurring, you know, for us that is more personal um, that I don't know if it would have... Uh, well, I, you know, some of it might have come to a head without without this movement. Actually, some of it may not have. Um, but but it's for us. There are people who we know, love, and care about who are impacted by these things. Um, and so, I don't think the movement will necessarily matter um, in the long run. Uh, you know, like the no, the movement mattered. I won't. I don't want to say it that way. But I don't think that if the movement dies out or isn't as prominent, sure. I don't think that will cease to matter. Right. But but it's but that's because. But those are the dedicated people, and I would say yeah. that that's the same in my church in that particular issue, right. being that it's so prevalent within yeah. our context. Right. I, I guess I think of it more just as an overarching generational, like, yeah. hey, this is how I feel and see. The, the, yeah. No, it's, you're right. it's not the same as the activism of the 60s. No. And Whereas, like, to be involved in it was to be all in. Yes. Physically present. Yeah. And we had this discussion about the TV show Blackish, right? Yeah. There, yeah, there was that idea that, like, no, like, you know, back when, you know, I think this is parents to the kids, like, no, like, activism is, like, you're actually there. And, right. like, it costs you something. Right. Um and uh, an activism that doesn't cost anything is questionable. Yeah, I think that's the big part. Yeah. I, I, and so, yeah, and I and I'm not denying that today there are activists who it's costing them. Yeah. No, yeah. I don't. I don't deny that either. I just yeah. don't know generationally if, if yeah. Xers and millennials really want it to cost them. No, I don't think so. Gen- yeah, by and large, nor want anything to cost. Right. Anything, you know, like. Well, I mean, we're in the, well, I guess, you know, what people have said is the me generation. So, you know, something is not good if it demands something of me or takes away my happiness. So as long as it brings me happiness, like I feel like I'm standing for something good and I'm on the right side of this issue, then I'm in. Um, But as soon as it starts to hurt um, or say I'm the uh, abuser, actually, it turns out, you know, then this is all garbage. Mm. So I'm, I'm sure we have to wrap up here soon. Yeah. But I have one question for you. Uh huh. That what I just want to hear you think about this, or what you, how you think your congregation will react to this. Mm. So if you guys, I don't know if you guys kind of practice Lent as a community or not, but no, could you haven't. have you could you imagine banning electronics in your church for a, a for a six week period of time and saying we don't want you to bring your cell phones into church into church um, how would your congregation react to that you know I think 
I guess, like, my gut reaction is I think they'd be okay with it. Um, I think that, in general, it's funny because I've thought about our church in comparison to some others, like, what makes us different. And we do, I mean, obviously, we're on our phones and, um, and do some social media stuff. But I think that I could identify other, like, millennial churches in town that, like, that is, like, way more like that's the vibe like you would you know having a strong Instagram presence and being and speaking and being and being active on social media is a higher value yeah uh, I'd say at our church it's a lower value um, and I think that honestly I mean I know I can speak for myself and probably Nick that if I turn my phone off I put it on airplane mode when I show up um, or as soon as I remember to and I love it. I love part of what I love being at about being at church is nobody bugs me. I'm with people I love, and right. nobody from the outside is bugging me. Nor am I um, thinking about needing to communicate with anybody in any way. Um, so Nick and I, as leaders, I think would be all in with that. And I have a feeling that it wouldn't be a hard sell at our church to tell everybody to, you know, and just just throw your phones in the trash for the afternoon and spend time together I yeah. think by and large everybody would be okay with it that, that's cool and it's probably led by you guys Like I, I think there's a we, yeah. we did that and I thought well, we didn't get any pushback either we were like fine yeah that was yeah uh, my old youth group when phones started I was there right when middle schoolers started getting phones because I was in a wealthy community now you don't have to be in a wealthy community for that to be the case but no. at that time it, it was it was like a new phenomenon in a wealthy community and uh, and so I initiated I found this really goofy bag with a big monkey face on it so I tried to make it fun um, and it's like we collected all the phones and you had to put them in the monkey bag and at first you know the kids were just furious um, but then <laughs> It didn't take long. I kid you not. No more complaints. Like, because we talked, they hung out with each other. They didn't miss a thing, you know. And and I was just inviting them to an hour and a half of that. Um, and so I've actually thought about it before. Of like, it wouldn't be the worst thing in the world to have a box at the at the you know uh, at the door and say, hey, put your phone in here. We're gonna be with each other and God exclusively for the rest of the night, and then you get it back when you leave. Yeah, you could get a nice safe nowadays because yeah. the phones are like 900 They're bucks crazy. a piece. <laughs> now, Eric's told me that you guys have said like, hey, uh, feel free to answer your phone at church instead yeah. of that whole like, please don't answer your phone. Right, right. Like, but the, the way he says it is right, isn't it? Like, if something is is extremely important and someone's life is on the line, by all means, please answer your phone. Yeah. That's very important to yes. us. But that's also kind of exposing how not important the majority of yes. it is. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's there to like make people kind of understand the importance of the phone right. and not shame them. Yeah. And have right. them feel like, oh my gosh, my phone's ringing. Yeah. So a lot of times, I'll even people. Hey, your phone's ringing. Eric. It is ringing. Um, <laughs> look at that. Yeah, a lot of times I'll just stop when somebody's phone rang and say, "Hey, answer that!" Like, well, when I was at yeah, when I when I visited your church, your phone rang. It did, and <laughs> usually I'm using my phone as a microphone. So oh, it's the, really yeah, because it runs off of our video. It runs the oh. video camera. So yeah, it just sits up there. I 
in the same way, kind of turn my phone off because I yeah. just plug it in there. Yeah. But then it's ringing while I'm preaching, and yeah. I'm like, oh, that's What's interesting. <laughs> but, yeah. Yeah, I one time forgot to put my on-airplane mode and, like, kept getting calls in my pocket. And I was just like, oh, this is... And it was weird because it's weird how much, like, you're like, I need to know what that is. Yeah. And then you think about the days, you know, which for you and I both, you know, there were days when that we can remember in our adult life, right? No phone. No phone. Like, and... Loved yeah, it. And, oh, it was great. And you know what? Like, if somebody needed to get a hold of you, you had no idea. You got home and you found out. And That's you right. got back to them. Right. And they left the a message. The world kept turning. It did. It did. Ah, unbelievable. <laughs> Today, the world would stop turning. It would stop turning. Yeah. But everything's changed. It's, yeah, the, it's not the phone. Things are just more important now than they used to be. Yeah. There's so much information yeah. now. Yeah. I'm on my way home. I yeah, need to know if I we keep have getting chicken. called repeatedly. <laughs> yeah, you do. Look at this. You've got your watches tied in. You. <laughs> I am not. I have zero interest in a in a in a watch that is linked to my phone. Okay, so zero. I'm like the weirdest person because I'm very anti-technology, but then I have it yeah, all. You're not anti-technology. I am really. So here's the problem. Yeah, you do have it all. People texted me and texted me and call me. And I don't call them back, and I don't answer their texts. Yeah. And part of it is, is that I have gotten to the point where I'm used to it buzzing in my pocket, and I and just, you can't tell when it is or is not buzzing. And I just forget about it. I, I just like, oh, I don't have a phone. Do you have the phantom buzz when your phone's not there? Yes, I that do. is so creepy. And it is a what weird. is up with that? <laughs> so I got the watch because I was missing phone calls and yeah. missing texts, and people were complaining. Oh man! And so now the watch tells me that I am getting a phone call. I got the smartphone where I could sync a computer between my, or a calendar between my computer yes. and my phone because I would miss meetings. Yeah, that and was the you original send me reason invitations to all of our meetings. I do, and I have to do that for myself because if I don't get a meeting in my calendar, I kid you not, I can tell somebody, I can be walking out the door and say, hey, okay, I'll meet with you at 11. I'm leaving at 8. I will forget that meeting. <laughs> <laughs> I, put, I put meetings in my phone for one hour later. Like, that's how scatterbrained I am. And huh. I've kind of always been that way. Like, even, that's before why... Before technology. Before, that's why I got my first smartphone was at my old church. It was like, I missed several meetings, and somebody kind of sat me down and was like, what's going on? And I just said, I don't capture this. I forget. And I said, I need help. Can can you guys help me buy a BlackBerry? Like, I don't... Ooh, this is back in the BlackBerry days. This is back days. in the BlackBerry days. And I told him, I said, I don't want a BlackBerry because it's cool. I don't. I just don't. I, I need something where the synchronization happens, where if I'm on my computer and I put it in, it's on my phone. If I put it on my phone, it's on my computer, and it's and I'm getting reminders. And so they said, sure, Andy, we'll help you buy your first BlackBerry. And, uh, and I've kept a meticulous digital schedule ever since. That's my... That's number one. And then the added benefit of, a, of a, having a camera. I love that. I love being able to yeah, take pictures. Yeah, no, that's that a good part of it. Yeah. yeah. I don't like social media and how I want to check it. Yes. In fact, I spent the last the 20 minutes before this just, you know, catching yeah. up on my social media for the yeah. day, you know? Yeah, and I do that too. And, and it's I, bad. It's not good, and I don't like it about myself, cause, and, it's, and I know I'm not alone. It's like all the rest of the world. But it's like, did anybody check what I said? <laughs> you know, or like, or did anybody send me something really important? What if there's a friend request that I don't know about that I haven't accepted yet? I really should check this. So and so doing. Yeah, right. 
what what now what pastors tweeted out the cool things that this yeah. is doing yeah yeah who's reading what book right now yeah and what great article did they share I wonder how big his church is yeah is it bigger than mine it's bigger than mine do people okay. like him more than they like me yes oh uh, that happens be. yeah Oh my god! They do. I had to unfollow churches at the early stage of church planting because of jealousy. There were churches that I had followed before that every time I'd see their Sunday service, I would be like, oh, they're doing so well. And I realized this is garbage and this isn't love for my people and I need to stop looking at that. So I went and unfollowed them all. Isn't that pathetic? That's not probably really wise and healthy of you. It was. But the fact that I had to do it was really sad. Yeah, well. Because it did mean I didn't just love my church like I should have. Yeah. But it helped me to love them, to quit worrying about what everybody else was up to. Yep. Yikes. Well, we should probably wrap this up. Absolutely. This is Faith Over Breakfast. And Andy and Eric are signing out. Signing out. <laughs>